want to get service, selection, and price so low. The record archive is the place to go.
Legendary Hallows Eve right there with yep. Lethal Tendencies. Fantastic. Also in one of my favorite movies of the 80s, River's Edge. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. You, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. Also in our fre- frequented uh, record bin. Yeah, definitely. Good definitely. stuff. Also, we should send that out to Morbid because I know he loves that song too. Yes. And we... Uh, we miss our monthly chats with him at Record Archive. We do, yeah. That'll melt down. Yep. Hopefully we'll uh, be back at it soon. Hopefully. Maybe June. I don't know. We'll see. Keep the hope alive. Mm-hmm. So, we have a guest on the show today. Yep. Um, you might have guessed Tommy Stewart mm-hmm. from the legendary Hollow's Eve. Right. Um, and a lot more. Well, yes. So he's kind of since moved on from Hollow's Eve, but he is a very busy guy. Mm-hmm. He has his own Doom record label. That's right. Black Doomba Records. Right. Um, and he's kind of taken an interesting turn from what he's most known for in Thrash and crossed over into Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a couple a couple active bands. Yeah. Uh, Bloody Geyers. We think that's how we say it. <laughs> <laughs> Negative Wall and mm-hmm. Tommy Stewart's Dire Wolf, which are all really cool. Mm-hmm. Do metal bands. Yeah, very cool. Um, he plays bass and does vocals in most of them. And I believe there's might be some drums sprinkled in. Right. Uh, Tommy Stewart's Dire Wolf, he does drums. And it's like a man of many talents, this yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, but he was a ton of fun to talk to. It was. Um, and he talked about his label and some of his projects and what he's got going on. And it was kind of cool because, um, he did remember his two trips up to Rochester Mm -hmm. to play the Penny Arcade. Yep. And he has a funny little story about that. He does. He does. All right. Let's play some Rochester Doom. All right. What are we going to hear? Oro Druin. All right. What song? (laughs) Into the Light of the Sun. All right. Perfect. Then after that. We're going to chat with Tommy. He's going to tell us all things Tommy and Black Doomba as he bangs the drum at a medium pace.
Tommy. Hey, Tommy. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How about you? We're good. We had some uh, technical issues here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 
Story of our life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, my whole day is technical issues. I've been recording all day. Oh, so you get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all, that's all I do all day is try to figure out how to how to make sounds and whatever. I've been working on a drum track all day. Well, that's cool. Then, yeah, sometimes it's like, uh, it, it's fun, but it's frustrating, too. I'm like, that's not it. That's not <laughs> it. In fact, I'm sitting right it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, so I want to preface this with something. I had a longtime Hollow's Eve fan, so I had a bunch of questions about Hollow's Eve that was going to lead into what you do now. Um, but I was listening to uh, the Southern Man Western Town podcast uh, with Jeff oh, Lawrence. Lord. Yeah. And he yeah. he asked you like every question that I wanted to ask you already like <laughs> less than a month ago, right? So I can't do the same thing again. So I thought oh, we could take a, a little different approach and maybe briefly yeah. go over, unless you want to talk more about it, briefly go over your introduction into music, Hollow's Eve, and then more focus on what happened after Hollow's Eve and what you do now and your label now and all the bands you're in. Oh yeah, that's well. There's a book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book that I could tell, not the one I can't tell. <laughs> the uh, everybody's always asking for like road stories from Hallow's Eve, and I'm like, I can't even t- start. Uh, not was, in real life. <laughs> I was surprised you remembered uh, playing at the Penny Arcade, and you said you you signed you know, someone's that's car. Something, yeah, I do remember playing at Penny Arcade. We we played there twice. And uh, I don't know why it stuck out in my mind so much, but I just know we were having such a good time. And one show was with Nuclear Assault. Mm-hmm. The other show was with Fate's Warning. And I believe that was on the no, uh, Fate's Warning had no exit. And I believe we had Monument. I think that's where we were about. I'm not sure where Nuclear Assault was. But I think they were in the same year. Uh-huh. In the arcade in Rochester. And I, I, we did an in-store, and I don't remember the name of the store, but it was an independent store. Was it right by... Was it right in the area? It was in the area. It might have been uh, Lakeshore Record Exchange or something like that. Does that sound familiar? Uh, that does sound familiar, but I think Lakeshore is a in that a, a, a kind of a main road of Rochester. Uh, back then, it kind of was on a on a main road. Was this not? I know that sounds familiar. It wasn't House of Guitars, was it? I don't know. It was a it was a place with a lot of records. <laughs> could have been, could have been there. And, I, and what made me remember it so much is that somebody actually pulled their car up outside and asked if I'd go outside and sign their car. <laughs> and they had paint with them, so I actually signed someone's car with a little brush and paint. And I was like, "Who the heck would do that? <laughs> Where the hell am I?" <laughs> yeah, who? Uh, I, I guess people. There are people who like us then. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, because we never really knew. Sometimes you're in the band. You're in a, you kind of don't know. You're, yeah. you're showing up. We did, and back then, it, you know, there wasn't any social, social media or anything. So we would show up to shows and look all around and go, wow, this looks like a pretty big show. I wonder who we're playing with. Why are these? I remember David looking at me and going, I wonder why all these people are here. 
And we would walk in and find out we were headlining. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. They went to us in Boston one time. We we walked in and we were like, wow, I wonder who's headlining. Who all these people are? Oh well, let's go ahead and get it over with. And we thought we were going to go in and do our twenty minutes, you know. And, and no, they came to see us, and we were doing just. We didn't know anybody liked us in Boston. <laughs> people like you all over. Yeah, we're surprised. We, we by, had no idea. We're surprised by the bands that we talk to. A lot of them think the same way. Like you have these rabid fans that love you guys, and. No clue. You don't know. I guess, especially pre-internet, probably, it was more so. I think now you can kind of, you can tell better. Yeah. Back then, we were surprised all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, you know, but about the time you thought, about the time you, you began to feel comfortable with getting a big head, then you would play <laughs> somewhere, and there would be <laughs> 10 people to see face morning and Halloween. You'd get an attitude adjustment. And you'd go, well, not everywhere. <laughs> you know? So you'd, you'd get your head on straight real quick when yeah. you show up. Wouldn't be hardly anybody there. Or they misspelled your name and marquee, <laughs> <laughs> which, which would be a better. We, we went and we played one show where. Um, Instead, we pulled up instead of saying Hallow's Eve, it said Hollow Eye. <laughs> and hey, that's we a cool band that was name. the best name. We were like, why didn't we think of that? That's better. That's better. <laughs> better, yeah. We should do we should go with that. <laughs> so so what what got you into music in the first place? You know, it's funny because I don't know. It just kind of always was there. And I, I guess a lot of people say stuff like this, but in brief, my mom sat me down at a piano when I was four. She was musical. And um, my, my sister was musical and she was in things too, theater and stuff. So it was kind of in the house. And uh, my parents took me to a lot of plays when I was younger, a lot of musicals. I know. <laughs> And so anyway, I grew up with that kind of thing, and I went through school band. I played clarinet and then bass clarinet. I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I know. I know. It's, I look back on it, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Why did I pick that? I could have had saxophone. <laughs> but I don't know what made me pick it. It was just the warm tone of it. Mm. And the same thing, then I went over to bass clarinet, and it was pretty much the precursor to bass. Then I started fooling around with guitar and when I was a teenager and um, I kind of found out I kept showing up to practices, uh, I mean to jams at people's houses and no one would ever sing. And I still don't think I'm any kind of a singer. It was just by default that I kept being the person who sang because nobody did. Mm. And um, so, you know, and I guess some people work on being a great singer. I just... Still to this day, just hope to be on pitch. <laughs> I just hope I don't sound too bad. No. And, you know, so I still feel like that. I feel like I'm a pretty good bass player, but when it comes to singing, it's just sort of I'm stuck with it. But what happened was I was in bands uh, as a guitarist, and and uh, and uh, by the time I was about 18, um, changed over to bass, and then. Uh, went through a band called Warrior that was not the L.A. Warrior. And Warrior started in 79. We were doing songs that 
and uh, that morphed into what became Hallow's Eve. Um, I, I met Stacy, and I decided Stacy was a better singer than me, and I literally put myself on bass when I could get him. I kind of fired myself <laughs> and got him. And then shortly after, we decided to change the name and get two other guys that became Hallow's Eve. And we were even doing some of the same. We took our songs, you know, so we were still doing The Mansion from Tales of Terror mm-hmm. of Hallow's Eve came from Warrior. Metal Merchants was a song called Metal Prisoners. So it's sort of like we really began in 79, but our bios always say we started in 83 because that's when we decided we are Hallow's Eve. Yeah. Ah, okay. And this means this. And that's when we got two other guys, and or three other guys eventually. <clears throat> and then we and then we did all the Hallow's Eve stuff, and uh, what we did about, and then we threw, did three albums. So we were together as Hallow's Eve pretty much for five years before Stacy left. And then I beat that. I tried and tried and tried to get somebody to take his place, but it just, and really, honestly, to this, I took his place temporarily, even myself, um, well, in the early 90s, and then in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. mid-2000s, there was about five years I did the lead vocals. But, you know, and, and even though we'd go play shows and people liked hearing the songs, I guess, but. It still wasn't quite Hallow's Eve. We had people even to our face question, you know, like, but where's Stacy? Where? <laughs> it was constantly wanting that voice. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I finally uh, I finally just said, okay, that's enough. I, I called him up. He wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. He did it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007 to, 2000, to 2013. I got him to play. We did one album, and I got him to play about five shows during that five-year period. And that was just all I could drag him out. That was it. <laughs> but people wanted they wanted to hear that class, the sound of that band in its classic form. Yeah, I just there was no replacement in people's heads, yeah. so I just quit trying to do that. Yeah. yeah. So I got I have a question about the earlier days of Hallow's Eve. Not to focus too much on Hallow's Eve, but um, there you were on the Speed Kills and Metal Massacre Six. Like before, you were signed to Metal Blade, right? Yeah, slightly before. Yeah. And, and it, um, I'm guessing that's what got you signed to Metal Blade. I guess they. Um, one time I was in Los Angeles and I was sitting in Brian Slagle's car. We were, I was actually, you know, in L.A. just hanging out with Brian Slagle, and he goes, and I said, Brian, I just said, why did you sign us? I looked on the floorboard, and there was our. CD in the floorboard, and he, I mean, a uh, cassette tape. And I said, oh, you really do listen to us? And he goes, yeah. And I said, why did you sign us? And he said, because I like you. <laughs> and I said, he said, he always, he was very consistent in saying that about all the bands. And I even read his um, uh, Metal Blade biography called The History of, History of Metal Blade, mm-hmm. I believe is the name of it. Mm-hmm. I read it, and he said the same thing in that, even to this day. He said, I signed people because I liked them, and I figured if I liked them, that a lot of other people would, too. Bam. <laughs> Business and model. That, he said that was why he signed people. I know that from being in the office a, a few times that um, when you sent your stuff in, and back then you'd have everything was on paper. Mm-hmm. So you had to have like a look like you'd put forth some effort. So you sent something with a bio, right. and a photo, uh-huh. and a tape. You had to look like you'd 
he had to know that you were actually actively trying to promote yourself. Right. If you were just calling him up and saying, hey, I got some music, are you interested? He'd probably not even say no. Right. Or send it or right. whatever. But if you just sent a tape with your phone number written on it, that was it. He probably it wouldn't even get listened to, right. I, I imagine. Right. Yeah. He had to see some effort and promo. And I'm I'm the same way now with the, with the label. I do the same thing. I'm I got to see that you're I've got some criteria. It has to do with um <clears throat> doing promo. Yeah, you should I have need to criteria. See that you're out there. I need to see that a band is out there playing out of state some. I know everybody's got jobs and things like that, but you've got to have some efforts out there. You're not going to do anything if you just don't go play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I tell them I go I got to see some some touring or some road shows out of state from your home state i need to see you be socially uh active net active um you know facebook twitter instagram those things that you're actively kind of constantly promoting yourself can you need to be doomed because i have a doom label (laughs) (laughs) well yeah we'll get into that because you took like an interesting turn that we absolutely love. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, weird. Everybody thinks that's weird, and I'm like, I'm just doing. So, what? What would you say? So, well, my question to you was: since you have criteria for your label, which we'll also talk about, do you have criteria for what shows you do interviews for? <laughs> like, did no, you did you research anybody. us? <laughs> When you're like, hmm, no, how many followers I, I do they have? <laughs> I should have, I should have looked at you more, and I usually do. Well, I'm kind of backwards. I guess I talk to people, and then I go look and go, "What did I do?" <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you don't regret this. Oh, I, can, I can tell you, I never listen to my own interviews on the radio or anything because a, everybody, like everybody else, I don't really like to hear my voice. Mm-hmm. I can't stand to hear my own accent, <laughs> and. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I and also I, I, I don't I don't want to know what I said. <laughs> so I just, I'll hear myself and go, oh, why did I tell that? I just, I'm just I'm being myself so much that it's almost to the point of if I listen back, I'm almost embarrassed. I'm like, oh, why am I not any more professional than I am? I just sound like some dude rapping, and but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, you're being authentic. Yeah. You should be you. You're being real. Well, yeah. I don't know how not to be. <laughs> I don't have a list of 10 points to make in front of me or anything. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. It's all genuine. Yeah. Shot from so the I hip, right? I can't talk to anybody because I think, I think it's all good. And, you know, if the show's just got a few listeners, that's fine, too. Well, that's good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, good because, but you know what? I, I say it all the time. You know, um, sometimes I, I shows might not have very many people at them, or sometimes, uh, you know, the shows on, on a podcast or whatever might have, but just so many listeners. But I always think one person at a time, one person at a time. When they come up to the merch table, and I sell one album, I I try to give them some extra stuff with it, stickers, maybe even an extra little sampler thing, or. Uh, I always thank them and tell them I really appreciate it because I do. And uh, so one person at a time, you you get people to listen to you. Yep. 
Absolutely. We're learning One person that. at a time. Mm-hmm. And so that takes a lot of time. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so I, I have one more question about Hallow's Eve, and then I'd, I'd like to move on, if, if you're okay with that. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so can you, this, if this is correct, what I read about your second live show as Hallow's Eve, I was, that's a really cool story, if you could, if you could elaborate on that a little. Yeah, our second, uh, well, our first, our first show ever was that we um, didn't, ha- we never had a show till the day our first album came out. That was the same day as our first show, the coincidence. It That's wasn't, crazy, too. <laughs> that is crazy. Looking back on it, I realized that hardly, I don't think anybody can say that, that no. they never even played a show. No. Got signed, made the album, put it out. And didn't have their first show to the day their first album came out. Who does that? That's crazy. <laughs> One of the guys is still in high school. <laughs> and then, uh, then the second show we played was a month later. Tales of Terror had just come out. And a month later, we played at, um, at one of the first thrash metal festivals ever. Uh, I don't know. It might have been... You know, right? Like literally, one of the first, like three or four or five ever that had this many people at it. It was um, at the Montreal Palladium. Um, it had Agent Steel, Hallow's Eve, um, Exodus, Metal Church, and Slayer in that order. We all played through Slayer's equipment that day. That's pretty. pretty and cool. um, it was in Montreal, and that's uh, again. This is our second show ever. We're playing out of the country. That's crazy. And with really, you know, some of the best new bands of the time. It, it was insane. Uh, you know, I, and a little, little side story. I was a huge fan of uh, Voivod's first album, War and Pain, that had mm-hmm. just come out, basically. Uh-huh. And they they were there. <laughs> and... and uh, I guess they couldn't afford to get in or whatever. I I, I pushed the back door open for them and got to let them sneak in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's that's how that's how I got to be. Uh, <laughs> that's how I met them. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. It wasn't no way. It was piggy in a way. I believe is who I actually let in. Why weren't they on the bill? I, you know, if I ever uh, bump into them again, I'm going to ask them that if they see if they remember. <laughs> Where were they playing? They lived there. Yeah. 85? <laughs> you said it was 85, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Warren Payne was out. Yeah. I kind of suspect it was that local band thing, like where you live, where you're from, yeah. people don't really yeah. think as much of you. So, you know, whoever is putting on that show, and I believe it was the owner of Bonsai Records. Oh, yeah. Which was um, a label who did a lot of licensing from Metal Blade licensed to. Um, bands out a lot. I mm-hmm. think that's how they did a lot of their stuff. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just recently found out that um, I was looking it up and I saw that Death and Insanity, for instance, has actually been released 22 different times in 22 different labels or distribution systems. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. <laughs> that's, that's um, a lot. I know that my statements are for those first three Halloween, if I were to print them out, they would be, it would be about a one inch notebook for all the different countries and different pieces of information involved in them. I just, that's just so much stuff. I don't sit and read it. Mm. 
I just look at the in amount. <laughs> <laughs> I just I go, where's the check part? So I can I don't print it out anymore. They just you know they they went green a long time ago. But you could print it out. I guess it'd probably be last time I printed it out. It was a lot of it was like fifty pages. Jeez, that was one six month. You know, wow. This is why they went green. <laughs> so it was. So anyway, uh, yeah, that that second show was something else. The third show we ever did was we were now in fact on tour with Slayer, and it was us, Nas- us Nasty Savage and Slayer doing a series of shows together. Oh, and nice. us Nasty did several shows between those shows. It was the Hello Waits tour. Nice, nice. Was Ronnie breaking the TVs on that tour? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I believe Nasty Savage's first, um, that, uh, I was the promoter for their, uh, it was their first show out of state altogether was to come up and play with us. Oh, yeah. And this was before our first albums came out, hmm. both of us. Nice. Um, we didn't play the show because our drummer, I think he fell off a motorcycle. Mm. Tim, our drummer, kept having mishaps. That's why we never played a show before that <laughs> one came out. He fell off a roof once. He fell off a motorcycle. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's why we kept booking shows and we kept not being able to play them. And I, I was the promoter. I'm the one that kept hiring everybody. <laughs> so I like the first Atlanta metal shows at all, uh, Nasty Savage. Um, I had Death coming up to one, and then we, well, actually, Death was supposed to open our first show that did that did happen, and they didn't make it because the car broke down. Oh, <laughs> and that would have been their first out of town show <laughs> because Georgia, Florida, you know, and when you come up from Tampa area, you basically are going to go through Georgia or Alabama, one or the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. So the Florida bands are often thinking first stop Atlanta. Did you guys have a hard time early on playing in Georgia, like your style? We didn't hardly get to it all. No. We, um, there were no, uh, Atlanta was way behind the other uh, towns that thrash metal really evolved from. So New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was even kind of a little San Antonio thing. I don't know if anybody remembers that. There were some band, a lot of bands coming in there and some Chicago stuff, too. But, uh, you know, every every city had one or two or three bands that were beginning to emerge to become what was going to be the thrash metal scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Atlanta, we were the only ones. There were no clubs. We the, the places that we did have our first couple of shows, I was going in and paying an amount to rent the place and then putting on our shows. Mm. So some of the first shows in Atlanta were me getting other bands. I know the first Megadeth show in Atlanta, I was the one that hired them. Mm. Wow. They got 400 bucks. I can can tell you, I'm the one that paid them. (laughs) (laughs) But it was in a club. And uh, so what I would do is try to get these bands, if I knew they were getting anywhere close to us, I would try to hire him, and then I would have Hallow's Eve open. <clears throat> but it didn't happen a lot. We had to leave town to go play. That's why our second show's in Montreal, our third show's in New York, our fourth show's in Baltimore. It's, uh, we had to get out of town to even get there. We couldn't, we basically couldn't get a gig back then until we got up to about Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, going northward. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that's where most of the shows were for us that were practical, was to go up the East Coast. So we were 
an East Coast and Midwestern band when it came to touring, although we did make it out to L.A. and San Francisco and some other places. We did, we did circle the U.S. a few times. Mainly, mainly we played on the East Coast. We went to New York so much that you'd have thought, well, actually, what was funny, Village Voice was the newspaper that they have, the entertainment newspaper they have in New York. Yeah. They used to have. Yeah. Ah, it's probably online. I don't know if it still exists, but they wrote us up one time. We played, one time we played in New York, and they wrote us up as a local band review because we played there so much they thought we were from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, we during that time we had played there so much we had not played in Atlanta for about a year and a half. We had played New York about ten times during that same period. Wow! Which shows you that down here, you know, it was hard to have. You basically, couldn't have a show unless you went and rented the place. Yeah. And then it started being where you could get. There were some metal shows starting in about eighty six, eighty seven. But we were out on the road so much, we weren't even involved in the. I didn't even know the local bands in Atlanta to this day. People talk about this band and that band. Remember them? And I'm like, no, I really don't. I wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been in New York so much. How you uh, met the Ramones? Yeah, I did meet. Um, I, I did meet uh, Joey at the Cat Club mm. one time. That was that was pretty cool. They, I met him. Uh, well, I met all of them once in an in store, like everybody would, you know, and and uh, I got the autographs on an album. But then, like ten years later, I'm in a club and he's up there. And as, as a matter of fact, at that time, he uh, he mentioned to me that they might be getting a different bass player. Uh-huh. And so it was right about the time Dee Dee wasn't going to be in the band anymore. It was, uh, I believe, '88. Mm-hmm. And then I think Dee Dee was out of the band in what February of '89. It was just before then. I think I read in uh, an interview a while ago that you may have been asked to try out or join the Ramones. Is that? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, casually he yeah. Uh, he mentioned this and everything, and that there was going to be actually auditions. Mm-hmm. And I. Um, he gave me a number, and apparently there were auditions because later I read about um, that that's that when CJ went that that's that there had been an audition of some kind. I read that there were like forty people that showed up, and he was one of them, and he got the job. However, he did. Mm-hmm. But um, I was told about it, and then it was the very next day that uh, Stacy decided he we were in the bus on the side of the road in Brooklyn, and he just went into a place for breakfast, came back out. He had been laying there looking like he was asleep. When we came back, he was gone. He just simply left the band, got on a plane, went home right in the middle of the tour. Wow. Wow. He didn't say anything? He just left? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he left us. We had we had a lot of dates. I had to. I actually had a meeting that very day before um, with our booking agent in person. In when we were there in New York, it was just I was there, mm. so I went to go meet with him, and he had just told me about all these dates that were lined up and everything. And I knew I had four that I knew about that we were about to go play day after day, and then he gave me. He told me about bookings like for the next two months or whatever. So I come back and 
Uh, we did that. He went to, so anyway, I went over to payphone right away to call the number Joey gave me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a Ramones thing. You know, I'm standing on the same payphone that Stacy probably just called a taxi from yeah. you know, the airport. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I actually said no to it when I was sitting there with him. I went, oh, that's nice and that's cool and everything. So I called up and somebody answered and said, no, no, what are you talking about? I don't know who... Who is this? And it sounded like Joey, and he and I, he acted like he didn't know what I was talking about. Well, there goes that. You know, bad connection, bad connection. I was like, maybe he wasn't supposed to. Maybe Dee Dee wasn't quite out of the band yet. This was my 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 thinking was possibly he was saying something he wasn't supposed to say. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He's not really the one to talk to in that band. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently it would be Johnny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe he just said something he wasn't supposed to say. Cause I called back and he's like, you know, whoever that was. And I think it was him said that said that he didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. So it was one of those almost things, you know, so what what if that did work out? I I feel like you are drawn to the heavier music and you may not have been happy in that band. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I don't know because here's the thing. I actually, when I was sitting there talking to him, I told him that I, I didn't think I'd be into it because here's, here's my thinking. I'm in a new band. Here's the thing. At, at that moment, it wouldn't matter which band it was. I'm in a band that's my band. Right. We're on our... Our third album has just come out, and it is the first album of an eight-album deal we had just signed with Metal Blade. Mm. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. After the first two albums. Mm-hmm. It's my band. Mm-hmm. And here's this band that you might not think of it like that now, but here's this band from New York that's very New York. And they're... Um, and I, I, honestly, in the middle of the 80s, they weren't doing that well. I kind of thought yeah. they'd already had their heyday, right. really, in the late 70s. Yeah. They weren't... They weren't thought of as Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet, <laughs> right? And uh, he was. And I, we had an RV pulling a trailer, and he he mentioned to me. He said, "Well, we just got a new van." I'm like, "Van? We just got out of a van." <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to join this other band and and only play with them and not do and you got to follow orders and you're not going to be part of you're not going to be able to participate in merchandise. You might get a little per diem or some salary of some kind. You've got to change your name. You can't play with nobody for five years. And I could just see this, like, do you want to do that or do you want to continue with the one that you are? Right. That That's looking good. That's like doubling in capacity every year for people draw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking stick with that. And then the very next day, my finger quit. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have a conversation with him after the fact about what happened with him that day? Like what he went through that made him get on a plane oh, and just yeah, like we've peace had out? Lots of talks about it. We're, we're still we're friendly. We're not friends. We speak every now and then, but not very much. And we, but we did, you know. And eventually, we played together again. Hmm. We did some shows together. We did a great one in Houston. Um, we played at Rocklahoma in 2011. Oh, that's cool. Uh, we did one yeah. in Houston that was uh, we did one in Houston that was Solitude Eternus, King's X, Hallow's Eve, and Hellstar. Oh, nice! Oh, wow! Nice. Yeah, James Rivera put that one together. Well, that's cool. That was his show, and uh, so we—I mean, we did some good shows. That's cool. And we played the uh, 
uh, also the Palladium. We did the Worcester Palladium in Massachusetts, which is where they had the, it was the New England and Hard Rock Festival. Oh, yeah. It was two days and like 30 or 40 bands. And the time we played, it was actually also billed as the 25th anniversary Metal Blade show. Oh. So we were on a bill with Demi Borgir, Lizzie, it was weird, Lizzie were Borden, we were at Lizzie Borden, Iced Earth, Demi Borgir, Cannibal Corpse, it was a really weird lineup, you know, how yeah. was he? it was a very bizarre lineup, but it was all Metal Blade, was the idea. Hmm. That's pretty cool. It was cool. Pretty diverse. It was cool. All right, so. Yeah, we went and did it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, I was just, that, that's okay. Yeah, I flew up there. We. This is how we are. <laughs> Stacy and I flew up there. I brought my base and that's it. Stacy and I flew up there. The other three guys drove. That's what Diva's weekend. <laughs> 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 Everybody's on like a, they're, all, they're always getting on to Stacy about being a diva or whatever, and he's always laughing and pointing at me. He goes, you guys just don't even know yet. This is the new lineup. <laughs> they go, you, you. You don't. You just don't know. And you'll be pointing at me. I go. Well, I mean, I'll pay for myself. But <laughs> yeah, we get a motel. I, I might. I might run off and go get my own room, or I might fly instead of ride, or whatever. Yeah, that's up to me. It's on my dime. <laughs> right, right. Maybe I. Maybe I like getting there in two hours. Uh, right. <laughs> Especially probably as you get older, you want those those luxuries, right? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. stay at. Uh, well, I've learned to do it better now. So in yeah. the modern times. When uh, my my two piece man tours now, yes, we stay in hotel rooms, and those can be tax deductions. And I've just I finally got a good attorney, a good tax attorney, and I learned he's taught me a lot of stuff over the past ten years. And I've learned how to tour a little more efficiency, nice. a little more efficiency. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. And I found out that a lot of times. You know, a lot of bands could be doing things a little more efficient. They just don't. They're like, oh, we had to sleep in a parking lot. And I'm like, no, you really did. Mm. You just don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. And I could tell you. <laughs> I could show you. I've, you're about, when I sign people, I go, what? and they go, why would I sign with a label? And one of the things I'll tell them is, because I've already made all the mistakes you're about to make, and I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not that you can't do it. They go, well, I could have done that. And I go, you could. Uh, I tell them all the time, you could. But are you? Or did you? Mm -hmm. Or have you? And I go, the thing is, this is all I do all day. This is my day job. I have a label and a studio. And I'm in a couple of bands, too. I know what it's like to be you. And I know what you mean. And like I said, I've made all the mistakes you're about to make. I can save you from those. And a lot of the stuff I'm doing is stuff you could do, but when you're spending all your day at your day job, do it taking care of your responsibilities or your kids or your wife won't let you go and all those things. I know what all that is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or your husband. And um, and I know what all that is. But So while you're doing all that, I can take care of this. In exchange for that, then I want to be able to do some things with your music. In other words, I see a label, the, the role of a label, I think, has changed over time. I think now it's more of a, a service, not really a partnership, but it's more like a service rather than an overlord. Yeah. 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 I think that's, 
a smart way to think. I'm about working it. with the band. Right. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm hoping to take them through a great experience that they wouldn't have had if they had been on their own. I'm hoping to take them. So what I look for when I'm in the label, what I'm looking for is a band that's kind of at that certain level where I, I can see that I could pick them up and I could take them through my process and it is going to elevate them. I'm going to get them 30 or 35 reviews and interviews they wouldn't have gotten on their own in an organized way right when their album's about to come out. I can put them onto a, a promo uh, a two to three month promo campaign. I can hire a promo agent and assign it to that project and I can get their name out there. They need to go play too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've already got a distribution system set up and uh, nothing fancy, but just like I said, the stuff they could do it too, but they just haven't. And they're probably not, they might not ever do it. Yeah. You know, they just don't know who to talk to and already do. You, for your label, do you seek bands out or do they do they find you or does it go both ways? I look at everything. Yeah. I'm not really looking for anything right now because I like to give 100% focus to the, the things that are on my plate already and I know how much I can take. Uh-huh. So, so like right this second, I have more than I can do, but I'm not silly. I wouldn't turn down a, a sure shot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would just squeeze my time a little harder. <laughs> There's a couple things I'm still looking for. So, is so it, hold um, on, hold on, because I don't think that we actually ever formally said what his label is. I, I was getting to that. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am uh, Black Doomba Records. <laughs> I just wanted to we get are, that uh, out there for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Black Doomba Records. And uh, the, the, the idea is, it came to me that in the Southeast U.S., there was a single, I was trying to get my own band signed. And I, I, I either got ignored or turned down by about eight labels that I thought had like doom areas or of concern or whatever. And even so, a couple I thought surely would want to work with me. They were friends with me and everything. And they weren't interested. And I was like, what is going on? And I began to realize there aren't very many actual doom labels that just do doom. Mm-hmm. I, they go, yeah. well, we don't just do we, we have some doom, but we also, and you'll look on there and there's like, you know, five black metal bands, straight up black metal, not, not a doom metal band with black and influence, but they're black metal bands. Yeah. And then there, there's, they'll have a couple of thrash bands. And they've got that kind of a uh, Pantera type bands or whatever like that. But they're sure they have some doom bands, but they're not really a doom label. And I was like, you know, I don't think there's too many people that have just honed it down to say, this is what I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm just doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so I, so I said, okay, as usual, if I can't get something done, I'll just sign myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I did. That's a good plan. Perfect. So I said, okay, I'm going to make a label. I'm going I'm to make a label. I didn't really want to because I know how much it is a lot of work. It's a lot to do. It would be a lot of filing, which is probably what I spend half my time doing. Is Because now I'm filing. You know how much work your band is? And you have to put together your EPKs. You have to stay socially out there with mm-hmm. posts. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have to book your shows. You have lots to do when you're in a band. Yep. You have to get new art done for your t-shirts. This yep. kind of thing. You have to go on so dumb podcasts. That I've got like, <laughs> so now I've got like 20 bands I do that in. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, and I got to give it to you because you really have your shit together. Yeah. 
You like, seem really organized. Yeah, when we contacted you, uh-huh. you were like, here's everything. Here's yeah. what you need. Here's what songs you can play. Like, I will call you at 655. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You got to be... You got to be very time conscious when you're trying to organize a lot of stuff. Did you go to college? Uh, I did. Both of us did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just that. Yeah. yeah of course. He always <laughs> yeah. gets. He kind of gets. Have, you have to know what time you're doing everything. If you're going to get this, if you're going to get this research done, you have from you have to. You don't you don't know what it is you're going to have to accomplish. But you go well. I've got from seven to nine o'clock that I have to learn how to do this software and then apply it to blah blah blah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yes. And you just have to do it, and you just uh-huh. and if you don't, if you can't do something, then you move to the next project and come back to it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We call those constraints. Yeah. <laughs> time management. Well, that's why I said I won't take on. I, I don't take on a lot of stuff. I, I'll listen to everything. People do send me stuff and. I listen to it. For the most part, it's real good, but sometimes they don't. I have to define what I'm doing in the label or in my studio. I have to define exactly what I'm doing for myself so I know that I automatically I go, oh, that band's from Tasmania. I When I asked them, there's no reason to ask them, um, I'll, I, I, but I do, and I'll say, so are you out playing out of your area a lot? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not much. Well, I can't really network you with because part of what I'm doing in, in my label is networking all the bands with each other for for shows and stuff. Absolutely. So when you see, so when I go out as Direwolf, I start calling the other bands up. Uh, my band, Tommy Stewart's Direwolf. When I go out with Tommy Stewart's Direwolf, I start calling up the other bands and going, "Hey, you guys in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, would you have a show for us? We could do with you up there." And since we're doing that, if you're in the mood to play. I have one we're doing in Chicago with another band that was on a compilation of mine and blah, blah, blah. blah. So I end up with, so last year, for instance, I ended up with a show in Chicago with five bands from the label on it, one in Wisconsin with four bands from the label on it that did five shows with Grave Huffer going from Joplin, Missouri down to um, uh, Houston. And then, and on some of those were some bands that were affiliated with me. So I'm able to get all these bands to help each other and, and be a circle of friends, too, uh, for posts. So if I'm on Twitter, uh, if somebody puts something on Twitter, I can retweet it. And other bands that are on the label will retweet those bands' posts. And I've talked to them about doing this. So we're kind of like a little street team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, we're all supporting each other. That's how it needs to be. Yeah. That's like the modern version exactly. of tape trading. <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of like, um, if you've been around long enough, that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. And people having to help each other do things. Right. And I have bands stay at my house now and then. Um, I still think like that. Yeah. So, did, did you think back in the 80s that you would be talking about tweeting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I laughed at it. I wasn't, to be honest with you, I wasn't, I don't have that many followers right now because I didn't even come on board with it till about, until about nine months ago. And my, my main promo guy, I use a lot, just kept on me about it, said, you really need to be on Twitter. And I remember in the, you know, the movie Machete. Yeah. Yeah. You do you remember him? Uh, he said, he goes, Machete, don't tweet. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I remember I laughed and laughed at that, but and I thought the same thing. And then here I am doing it. And I'm going, well, it's another platform, though. Right. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's valuable. <laughs> so I tell all, I talk to all the bands, and I go, here's what you do. You got to post. You got something you want to say. You say it on one site. Don't put it where it goes on all the sites at the same time. You say it on that site. The next day, you put it on a different thing. And the next day, you put it on a different thing. I've got sheets up here where I, I write down every platform I have, and I've got all the bands, and I've made a sort of a graph of it, and I make sure to uh, they all eventually hit every group or, or format that I'm on. And I, I basically just I take these different things that are said, like the podcast or reviews or things like that, and I alternate them through there. And I tell them, I go, don't do it all at once. You want you want to hit a different set of ears and eyes all the time. Some of it will overlap, but that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have these little talks about, and I turn them on to little online workshops I know of that people put on about social media or books. There's some excellent marketing books that will help people's bands. Um, and I know other, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of good workshops and stuff out there online. There's a good marketing book, but there's a um, a lady named Monica Strutt that has a great um, marketing book for bands that just came out. I couldn't tell you how to find her except her name, (laughs) but if you look her up, she's there. She's got a good thing. Um, I can tell you that my friends uh, Matt Bacon and Curtis Duar do some workshops where they do like 10-day challenges. Uh, this time we're going to run through booking your band. And you do a day-by-day 15-minute exercise and actually book your band. And uh, today you're going to call three people and you're going to say blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You're going to put the, they'll start out, today we're going to work on putting together your EPK. Everybody write a bio. Then post your bio in this group and then Matt and I are going to come on and comment on what you could do to make it better. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Uh, that's think, a good idea. Yeah, it's excellent. It's excellent. So, as a matter of fact, I get I get Matt to uh, Matt Bacon to uh, rewrite a lot of the band's bios when they send them to me. I tell them to write a bio, update it. I go first. We need to optimize all your stuff since you've started with the label. I go. You need to go over. You need to get on Twitter. You need to go on Instagram. You need to make sure you're on Facebook. You need to go through all your information and optimize it and update it. Because I see on here that the member you lost a year ago is still listed as your bass player. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tell them to go through all their stuff and optimize it, and then write a bio, a fresh bio. I go, keep it to a couple of paragraphs. Nobody wants to know how. Your cousin George, that your band members came from your cousin George's band. It's a pig and chick down at the. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, don't write down every history thing about you. <laughs> just, just say the band started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get to the point. Like, uh, just think of it like this: the people reading this, uh, you've got about fifteen seconds with them. They're they're not really going to read it that hard. That they're going to glance over it. Yeah, that's right, true. Right. You need words. So get to the point. Yeah, like, keywords. Keywords. You, you know, just get to the main points. Like if you played any main festivals, list that. If you made, um, you know, just use as few words as possible. <laughs> right, right. And then, and then I'll take that and I'll I'll send it over to Matt. And it does good to, to uh, hire yourself a professional writer. I, I know um, a couple of them out there. I call up a writer at a magazine. You know, contact a writer who writes some of the reviews you like, and if you like the reviews, contact them and say, how much would you charge me to rewrite my bio and do a really good job? Because when you're writing for yourself, 
you're writing in the third person, so you already you already feel like a nincompoop, right? <laughs> but it, you know, and you're not going to make it. A, it is a, a, you're going to just say the fact, right? Because it's just you, right? Right. So if you get somebody else to write it, they'll sensationalize it a little bit and go, and they they'll say like you know, and then they blast it out into the public with their sensational new, you know, and they'll say it all different, like it's a big thing, and mm-hmm. you'd have probably never wrote that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I feel like but we need to give cool. you our bio. Yeah. <laughs> Will you rewrite our bio <laughs> <Not> for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, well, like I said, I hire other people, right? And it, speaking of college, that was what I majored. I majored in uh, English. Mm. So, even with a degree in writing, I still tend myself to writers. <laughs> Well, you did write most of the Hollow's Eve stuff, right? Or a lot of yep. it? Yeah. Yep. Well, back then, yeah, yeah. We, I didn't, you know, you did everything literally yourself at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always fun for me because I knew that every one of those biographies written by, so you'd read a, you'd read a magazine article, right? And all the bio information at the beginning of the article, somebody in the band wrote that. They basically just repeated in the magazine. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell I tell all the bands I go, when you're writing your bio, remember, don't be surprised if fifty percent of all the articles you read are basically they're, they're going to say what you just said word for word. Yep. That, they're not doing anything wrong. That's just the nature of the beast. Right. So make sure you're be, be careful that you're writing what you actually want them. You want to put what you think people want to know and what you want people to know. What makes you unique? Yep. Well, yeah, exactly. All right, let's hear a couple Tommy bands. Okay. All right, let's first start off with Tommy Stewart's Dire Wolf with Wheels of Confusion. And then Negative Wall with Hybrid Genus Serpentize.
So what prompted you to immerse yourself in the doom genre? The old doom genre. Well, here it is. Doom, it's funny. It's just a word, really, because the the doom genre, to me, isn't really all about doom. It's an umbrella term. There's so many different elements and so many different styles of doom that some of the bands don't even sound like they're in the same thing as each other. That's true. There's funeral doom, there's goth-oriented doom, there's new wave of British metal, bluesy doom, There's, which is a lot of it, mm-hmm. and all this. And here's what happened. When I was in Thrash, there seemed to be, it was funny because I, I thought it was such a free thing to do at first. There seems to be this stringent set of rules of what it is to be Thrash. Yeah. When we got a new drummer, if they we walk in, we'd say they start unloading. We wouldn't see two bases or a double pedal. We'd right. go, "Are you single bass?" Yeah, and we'd say, "Audition's over. Pack it up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the rules. You yeah. have to have. They said, "Whatever happened to that song you have called?" There are no rules. And we, well, there there are some. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out there are. There are some rules. There are some rules. <laughs> well. You know, and it, I, I got a little bit disenchanted with the fact that every time I brought up any kind of thing that was outside the box in my thrash band, nothing against the guys, but there was a lot of stuff I was held back on. Uh-huh. And I finally just decided after a, a while, um, well, I did some other things. Um, I was in a band called Estragas Nosferatus for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and that black was black metal. metal. Yeah, but yeah. everybody, it was funny because that was another band in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was Skelly's band, mm-hmm. Skeletor, who was on the first Hallow's Eve album. Mm-hmm. It was his band, but it was funny because I, I counted it up at one point. So there were like 11 former Hallow's Eve members that actually were in Lestragas at some point. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this was sort of like the sister band. But in that band, you could be black metal. Uh-huh. So it was uh, much more darkened. So anyway, so later, to come back to the question, is um, I started deciding that what I wanted to do was to do, I wanted to explore all the ideas that I had not done that I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Crazy sounds, doing crazy stuff on bass that doesn't even make sense. Uh-huh. Miking tech, miking stuff in weird ways, doing everything wrong in the studio. <laughs> I still do. I see. Now it depends. Now, if I'm working on somebody else's album, they want to. We're a thrash band. We want to sound like we want to sound like Slayer. I go, okay. Then you need very upfront vocals mm-hmm. to get rid of the reverb. And we got to decide what's in the back and what's in the front. I start taking a more standard approach to it if that's what they want. Mm-hmm. But for my stuff, yeah, I'm I'm doing crazy stuff. And that was what I liked about Doom is that it seems like kind of anything goes. Uh huh. What do you do? You think that kind of uh, applies to black metal too, in a way. Maybe not so much as Doom, but I think there's a lot of different. I don't black know. Metal. Those black metal guys got some pretty specific ideas sometimes about yeah, what. Some of them do, yeah. It depends on what form. It's like um, it's like Norwegian metal, and like a guy said to me, he said, "You know, one one guy said, he said, do you know who are in Norwegian black metal bands?" And I said, "Who?" And he said, "Norwegians." <laughs> <laughs> That sounds he said, like everybody else is not true. Uh, that sounds like elitist bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Well, it is, but see, that's what I mean. I was like, well, you know, 
Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, guess who's in Norwegian black metal band? She goes, Norwegian. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> like, you know, everybody else, we don't allow other people. Yeah. And they're not, he said, the others are not true. Yeah. So if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're a black, you're a Norwegian black metal band, in his opinion, you're not. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're simply not Norwegian. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, is kind of it just already makes you not that. Again, his own. So I don't know. I think the black, I think black metal's got a lot of specific rules too and everything. It's what I liked about doom metal. I started listening to it and I, I would listen, to, I would just be arbitrarily, randomly listening to bands and going, oh, they're calling that doom metal. Mm-hmm. I love Solitude Eternus. I love them. Yeah. They're, and it says, oh, they're doom metal. I said, okay. So I'm listening to some Electric Wizard. It's, oh, they're doom metal. Mm-hmm. They sound nothing like Solitude Eternus. Right. Then I'm listening to Oceans of Slumber. The first time I read about it, it said, they called them doom metal. I went, I was listening to it going, I guess. I, <laughs> I love this band, but why are they doom? Yeah. And then uh, lately, uh, my favorite album that's late of lately would be uh, Woodland Rights by Green Lung. I listen to that a lot. Uh-huh. And they're doom metal. And I'm like, they have nothing. These bands don't sound anything like each other. So anyway, so at one point in Black Doomba Records, I decided I wanted to do a compilation, but not necessarily of bands on the label. I wanted to make a point with it. So I made this beautiful double album, double vinyl album with three color you know designs on either one and uh just beautiful art the guy who did the art was amazing Mm -hmm. and um all the bands i got i went around got were the point was they were all doom but they were all not like each other so Mm -hmm. they were 13 artists with doom elements was their common thing and that was the point of the album Uh that all these bands do have something in common they're <laughs> well. I like one friend of mine looked at me and he cocked an eyebrow and he goes, "You mean they're not thrash?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kinda. <laughs> he said, "Is that what doom is?" And I said, "Yeah, kinda." <laughs> it's not technical death metal. There's no technical death metal on this album. No. <laughs> That's the Doom Bronomicon album that you released. Yeah, okay. Doomanomicon. Okay, I said it wrong. Like I say everything wrong. But. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. Thanks for it's correcting me. <laughs> Doomanomicon. If I say it fast enough, you won't notice. <laughs> there should have been a chant on the album or something. I even threw a drone. I even ended the album with a drone um, artist because I felt like they're just. It's not that I'm a big fan of drone uh-huh. music. It's just that nobody ever puts it out in any kind of a official way. It seems like. A, not not here anyway where I'm at and I, I, I told the guy he was playing with um, my band Tommy Stewart Starworth and we were playing Athens Georgia and he opened I just stood there with my mouth and gun. the guy hit like one chord on a guitar and then he played his effect for 30 minutes <laughs> with a looper and I was like <laughs> I was standing there it cleared the room and I looked around and I said there's some there's some kind of power in this somehow if I could just kind of reverse it yeah I, I said, but the only ones left standing there were me and my drummer, and we were standing there with our mouths open, going. I was trying to figure out what, what I was happened? trying to put a grasp. <laughs> what is the guy doing? Right, right. What's the point? <laughs> he's trying to get across. <laughs> he would look very studiously at it, and then he would pound his fist on the ground, and he'd swing his cape. <laughs> then he hopped off and rolled around the floor with a, and he had some kind of device that he was turning it and going. Eee! 
He'd make Vincent Price torture faces. He's like, I, I kind of don't know what to think of that. We walked off. We left, but you know, it's funny because it was like six months later and I totally remembered the guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember anything else for six months, <laughs> any bands I saw except this guy. Yeah, you left and an I impression. Thought, there was something to think about about that. So I called the guy up when we started making Demonomicon. I called him and said, do you have a, would you like to put a track on this? And he said, I thought nobody would ever care about my music. I go, well, I don't know. Let's put it out there and see what they do. <laughs> What if it's the one that I get the most comments about? Uh, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. We've seen Let's some stuff like that. Yeah, we've seen some stuff like that where we 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 watch it or we listen to it and we're it's really different. And it's off the wall. It's we know it's artistic. Sure. And we're not sure is this good and we just don't get it or like what's happening here? <laughs> It's funny, yeah. Is this good? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, you know, here's what's funny. When I was about 10 years old, the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey came out. My yeah. dad took me to see it. And we sat in the movie theater. When it got done, da-da, there's the star child, and it ended. Bum, 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 bum. It was all black and ended. Uh, the lights came up. My dad just sat there, and I sat there, and I looked at him. Are we going to leave? And he said, I don't know what I just saw. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what did we just sit and watch for two hours? His <laughs> exact words were, I don't know what I just saw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sometimes, I guess, we run across some music like that. And just go, I'm certainly thinking about it. Yeah. So your, your roster here is just, we have like four pages of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot here. So, you you mentioned Dire Wolf is you're recording your second album there, right? Yep. Okay, so Negative um, Wall. Our second full album. Yeah, Negative Wall. Uh, they're they're jamming the uh, the the drummer and the guitarist are. Uh, they're ignoring the virus thing and they get together and jam and <laughs> good for them <laughs> they're they're jamming right now and i'm the one that won't come <laughs> it's like it sounds like me but yeah. that's okay but that's okay like i told them i said at this point after april 26 we actually had a show april 26 that didn't happen at a it was a festival called slaughter queue mm-hmm. and uh we ended up not doing it but i told them i said see right now i would have i told y'all already that until the maryland doom fest the week before it, me and Dennis would then rehearse for that show. Mm-hmm. But during this time, I would be doing what I'm doing right now. I have to hunker down and make my album, mm-hmm. which means I'm not coming to practice. And you guys, I told him, I said, you guys can jam and write stuff and send me phone uh, recordings of it. And then I'll fiddle around with uh, lyrics and stuff when we get together. That's how we count. That's Negative Wall's sort of way. Negative Wall is, a, is all of our side band. It's a sci-fi themed um, uh, fun band that sort of comes across. We didn't really realize what we were going to come across like this. It comes across as kind of a stoner band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get uh, that. It's, do you get that out yeah, of it? And yeah. what was funny is after I began to record it, I began to realize it sounded when I was doing the vocals myself and I would do the backup vocal harmonies with myself. I began to realize how much it sounds a little like Alice in Chains. Yeah, uh, but like a Doom version. Yeah, it wasn't intentional at all. It just, 
at some point, I remember looking, listening back to a mix and going, we sound like Alice in Chains. I said, it's my vocal harmonies, my picks, or what's doing that, I think. Plus, the, the drum sound, I think, on some of it had a lot to do with it because um, it, it sounds a little like it. It sounds good. We so like anyway, it. Yeah, so we're a sci-fi thing. We go on stage. We keep it all black and white on stage. So we wear like lab coats and safety glasses and we wear grayscale <laughs> makeup and we tell them not to use any colors. Huh. Our backdrop is a giant black and white still that's similar to a scene from the 60s sci-fi show Outer Limits. Oh, yeah. It's a black light. It's a, it's a, it looks like a laboratory with something happening. With neg- it looks like the uh, negative inside out um, photograph or, you know, like they would use in Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So all our songs tell little stories about alien rapes and. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, oh, as a matter of fact, one of the songs is called um, it's called Imperi Exulis, and it is a song about the Misfit Zantes, which was an episode of uh, about the little bee people, the okay. scary looking bee people on Outer Limits. Okay. If you look that up, look up the Zantes, you'll see how creepy they are. I wrote so I wrote a song about that show. So this is. The, and what I got to do in that band, I don't normally do in any band, is that I, I got to write some fantasy. I always write about stuff that actually happens to me. It's sort of authentic. It really is something, I, my opinion or whatever. So most of the things I write are really me. Mm-hmm. And Megan Wall, we decided, I decided to go all out fantasy. And for instance, um, also I um, started writing a language for it. So if you listen to a song, for instance, called Hybrid Genus Serpentus by mm-hmm. Negative Wall, yeah. you'll hear me say some words that sound like nonsense. Uh, <laughs> interesting. But when you hear them in context, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Huh. That was the trick. Well, that's pretty cool. It's a, it, it was. It's a lot of fun. So now I started keeping a, a, a sort of a, a glossary of it as I'm writing lyrics for the next album. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're doing, we might do another album. And then um, as I'm writing for the new stuff they're working on, I'm writing, uh, I'm sort of filling in like, well, if it ends with A-U-A, it's very verbal. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, what do I say, valley. It's very valley. <laughs> and so if it ends with A-U-A, it's an adjective. If it did it, I started giving it some rules, some structure. That's really cool. Yeah. Does, does that yeah, language have a name? No, I shouldn't no. have a name, shouldn't you should, I? Yeah, you should. You should. Because this is. Then I started looking. I'm going. I'm wondering if anybody else has done this. And I started looking up uh, fictional languages. And then I, re- I went, of course, of course, Elvish from Lord of the Rings, and um, what she, what was she speaking in Game of Thrones? The dragon, the mother of dragons. Would she say Dracari? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then there's uh, what's the one everybody knows in Star Trek? The Klingon. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't speak Klingon? I don't. But <laughs> <laughs> I see there. You know, so I started realizing. I go. There are people who really made up some elaborate fictional languages. This is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool idea, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll just write our own. If I don't have a way, what rhymes with? I know what rhymes with it. Whatever I make up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I did. That's what brought that on. Because I wanted to end, I wanted to hold out a letter, I think it was. I wanted to say, ah, ah, ah and I was like, it, nothing rhymes with door. And I, was, <laughs> I ended a sentence with orange, and I've got to find a rhyme that I can hold the letter out. <laughs> 
So Direwolf is scheduled to play Maryland Doomfest June 20th, right? Yeah. Has that been postponed or right. is it still on? I'm still waiting on the word, but still I wouldn't waiting. doubt it. Mm. So it's um so it's in Frederick, Maryland, mm-hmm. and I just love Maryland Doomfest. I went last year and had a great experience. Um, I'm one of the sponsors of it, which means I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I am one of the sponsors of it. It means I probably paid for one of the bands. Yeah, they take your money. <laughs> yeah, your name, your logo goes on the T-shirts. Your logo goes on everything, and you're in all the advertisements. You're helping a lot. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, so I'm one of the sponsors, and um, <clears throat> and I also go and set up a Black Doomba Records vending table, which is really two tables. It's really a lot. So I've got all the albums there, T-shirts from the bands and all that stuff. So people can come in and get all kind of stuff. Helpful hint, if you wait to the last couple of hours of the whole festival, that's when the deals come down because I'm wanting to get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't want to carry shit. (laughs) I don't want to carry shit and I want to go see the headlining band. Right. (laughs) I usually close when the headline... The the band before the headlining band, I usually close up so I can go see the band. All right. We're going to make note of that. That's when we're going to roll uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> that's when, yeah. The last two hours, that's when I'll I'll start saying, all right, uh, if you buy it out, here, two for one albums and you get a CD too. No, 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 no. Just get out of here. What's in this box? You can have that whole box. I'm going to fold up the top. You can have that whole box for $40. <laughs> no telling what's in it. Could be a pie. Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes pie. <laughs> so anyway, could be an album and a pie. <laughs> Noted. Anyway, yeah, I love Maryland Doomfest. It was awesome. It's 50 bands, four days. It's really three days, but there's a pre-show day, so it's four days. And uh, and this year, I got to play at it. That's cool. Yeah. So, so is that? It's kind of a weird thing to play at it too, because now I got to drag all the equipment with me, as if dragging all that stuff with already already have a trailer full of Black Doomba stuff. Now I got to bring cabinets too. Or, well, I'm going to use one of the cabinets there, but I still have to bring some equipment that they just don't have. That's put on by mm-hmm. someone different than the Maryland Death Fest promoters, right? Right. Yeah. Maryland Death Fest takes place around Baltimore, mostly, yeah. I believe. Yeah. In the clubs around Baltimore. Yeah. This one takes place in the same uh, clubs in the same corner. Like, you just you get your hotel room and just take an Uber over is the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. And just leave your car, don't even try to park in downtown Frederick. There is a, a parking garage. It's like a three-mile hike to the area where the Doomfest is, though. Got ya. Got ya. So, I've... yeah, I would just stay at the hotel and call them. So, you know, once I get my stuff in there, that's what I do. I get all my stuff there and set up, and at the end of the night, I just I have boxes. I just throw it in the boxes and lock it up, and then I take an Uber back to the hotel. Yeah, smart. We had plans to go to Maryland Death Fest, and that was canceled or postponed until next year, 2021. Has it been? Yeah. When is Death Fest? Um, the it, end of May. Yeah, the Ooh. end of May. Yeah. End of May? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Doom, so Doom, Doom Fest is a month after then. If that's still on, that would, that would be awesome for us to go to that. Yes, I'd, we'll be there if it's still there. on. Yeah. 
if it's not on all he'll do is he'll just postpone it he'll, yeah. and i know he'll probably it'll be a logistics nightmare but he'll probably have most of the same lineup i'm mm-hmm. sure because a lot of some of those people were coming through on tour but a lot of them were coming specifically to play that do uh doom fest is uh this year's headliners there was a um, I know there's uh, Sirius Thungle, Sirius Thungle right? yeah. Shadow Witch. Yeah, Sirius Thungle Saturday night. I think we were actually on that bill. We're on Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, the Skull. Uh, it's 50 bands. I'd have to look it up. Wait, have you seen the it's Skull? Huh? Have you seen the Skull? Yes. Yeah, what do you think of them? We oh, saw, I love the Skull. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Good. We saw them here... Um, I don't know, six months ago maybe. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. Oh man, no, it's been a couple of years. They've even put out an album since the last time they've been to Atlanta. The last time they came to Atlanta, they had to cancel because they were not able to get their drummer from England. Oh, although they're from Chicago, but the drummer they were using is uh, um, I forgot his name. I think he's in Cathedral also, mm. mm-hmm. but he couldn't he couldn't do his visa so. He booked all these shows and he couldn't come. <laughs> but yeah, I guess they're back out playing however they do right now. Yeah. Or they were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good show. It worked out. The only thing bad for me is I, I was doing a lot of recording right this minute, so it was okay for me, but I had four really good shows booked and they're all festivals and that's that's the part that bummed me out is I had four really good shows I was doing between, uh, you know, in April, May, and June. Are you a, a festival guy or a, a small club kind of kind of uh, player? What do you prefer, or do you like both. both? Both, yeah. Oh, as far as playing, yeah, I, I kind of like a I like a club with a good many people there. I like a club with fifty to hundred people in. Mm-hmm. You can still talk to them. Yeah, they're you, and they're talking back to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they might even holler up for you to get off with it. It's, it's pretty funny when you got to go. Okay, we were on tour. We were on tour with Gravehopper. It was funny because we were in Houston, where we do very well. We go about twice a year, and we were on stage. So anyway, but we were playing with Gravehopper and Doomstress. Mm-hmm. Doomstress was on Doomonomicon. Gravehopper was on Doomonomicon. I've now signed Gravehopper, and their next album, their next full album, is on Black Doom Records. So I'm very proud of that. But we did have a guy yell at when I started. I come out on stage and I do a little two minute loop piece that's kind of quiet and has strings. And what I'm doing is I'm looping stuff, and then I'm playing in harmony with myself. And using my wah to activate certain tones that bring in the string sound and take it away when I come off the high end. And mm-hmm. so I'm manipulating all that at the same time. And I do that, and then I holler one, two, three, four, and we launch into the big chords, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I come on stage, and I'm, the lights are all blue and low. It's dum da 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 One reason I start with that is because people are not ready sometimes when you start playing. Instead of people trying to get the sound in ready or people are milling around outside or whatever, if I just start noodling for two minutes, they tend to come gather in front of the stage instead of missing the first song. That's why I do that's what started that. And also, this was a way for me to sound check. I made this little piece to where I can act, I actually involved every single piece of 
effect on the stage, which is a lot when you're by yourself. Yeah. So I was able to sound check every single thing on the stage while I'm playing a piece. So it's a, it's a smart little thing, I think. And anyway, it's funny because I'm, I'm playing this all. Da, 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 da. And some guy who came there to see Grave, how how is it? Hey, I start playing that. Stop playing that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, I hit a heckler. <laughs> we gotta play some metal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know. I'd never run across that before with that piece and uh i just kept playing and i kind of looked at him like i glanced at him but i was like I don't, I don't know what to do about it i'm in the middle of doing what i'm doing and right. i can't really i'm doing three things at once now before the the covid uh, outbreak did you venture out to uh, uh live venues live music very often no they shut no. everything down here no i mean before this happened were, are, were you like a, a spectator or did you mostly just play oh, out? Oh, yeah, I'll go yeah. see some shows. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I probably don't go out as much as most of my friends do. Mm-hmm. I mean, once I've seen a local band about five or six times, I kind of slack off a little bit because, honestly, I'm just I'm just too busy to go to everybody's show yeah. over and over. I just, I have a lot to do between, like I said, the studio, the label, whatever. So a lot of times my friends are, you know, hey, can you come out and play? And I'm like, no, I have to practice my piano. <laughs> that kid. Yeah. Hey, you want to go play baseball? And I'm like, no, I have to read this book on EQ and con- compression. Well, that's why you're so effective, right? I like to think so. I try yeah. real hard. Yeah. Sometimes I have to learn how to play stuff just to get something. Like right now, I don't have a drummer. I have a drum part. Mm-hmm. I have a song. I've uh, tried to get some drummers to do some things with me online, and they just said yes and just haven't. I finally just started going over to the drum set here in the studio and said, I guess I'll play it. I guess I'll learn how. So I sat down and started going over some fundamentals and going, now, what do you do? You do this. And you, you, I need to do eight speeds on the rod. And blah, 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 blah. next thing you know, I'm the one, I'm the drummer on the thing. I'm not a drummer. <laughs> But well, if I need to, you know, if you if you got to play something, you can't get anybody to do it. You just have to learn how to do it and do it. Yeah, that's got to be satisfying. It's kind of it's kind of weird because I have drum credits and I've never sat, I've never laid down a drum track at a sitting at a whole drum set. <laughs> I'm usually like going, okay, it's time for me to do this timbali part. I set up the timbales and mic the room and set the input level, and then I do that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then I go back over and go, look, I need these snare hits right here. Uh-huh. So I'll just go sit down at the snare and I've got it all mic'd up and I just sit down and go bop, 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 bop. <laughs> I follow the click and I go, there's the snare part. <laughs> Do you ever use those? Be... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, It'd be was... awesome to have a drummer, but... I was going to ask if you ever used uh, software drums, like a VST plugin or anything like that. No, but I'll use some... I use a... What I do is if somebody comes in and they just... I'm sorry, but they're they're they have drums that just don't sound good, and uh-huh. even after tuning them or their used heads and all that, I might have to bring in a trigger. You give them a, so you I'll, give them a good sound. I, I use uh, Steven Slate triggers. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I like them. They're fine. So, is your studio called Blue Ogre Noise Lab? 
Yes. Okay. I don't think we... It's a blue ogre noise lab. And the first thing you notice when you walk into it, everybody always looks and goes, they look all around and go, it really is blue in here. <laughs> I go, yeah, it is. How long, how long have you it's had all, the studio? It's, all full of four, it's full of four-inch pyramid foam. And it's all blue or teal. and So you feel like you're walking into a watery cave. Oh, nice. oh you should send it's us blue. a picture. <laughs> yeah. It's a blue shag carpet. <laughs> how, how long have you had and, the studio? Uh, I started having um, the studio for public uh, about five years ago. And I, I had it at a different place with two big rooms. 16-foot ceilings. One room was a live room with all wood walls and everything in the, uh, the, the room. The main room I used a lot was a dead room. Did some drums in the live room. Had uh, two pretty big vocal booths or isolation booths. But I, I had a hard time getting people to come there. I don't know if they just didn't realize what I was doing or what. I'd go out to the, to the clubs and, and where the bands have merch, I'd set up a a studio thing. I'd I'd sit there with my blue ogre head or whatever, and uh, I'd go up on stage. I'd run a raffle. I'd go up on stage and tell people that the before the headlining act plays, I'm gonna come on stage and read a ticket. If you'll go back there for ten bucks, you can get a raffle ticket and you'll win four hours of free studio time tonight plus a t-shirt. <laughs> nice. You'll get a t-shirt just for just for your ten dollar ticket. You'll get a t-shirt. That's, that's and a then deal. you may win free studio time. That is a and deal, I think, and it did pay off, pay off a little bit. But I didn't get enough people to come to keep those to keep that studio that really big space going. Mm. So I finally just decided to bring it home. So, so I knocked out some walls. I live in a ranch style house. I don't have a basement like a lot of people do. Mm. So uh, so I went to the back bedrooms and just knocked out the walls and created a, a studio space out of it. Is the studio digital or analog? It's a no. I had to move out of the analog world. It's, I was sort of late of, of doing it too. It was funny, but uh, no, it's Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. I went to Pro Tools school. I'm a Pro Tools guy pretty much all the way. Uh -huh. I study it. I, I'm enrolled in online classes even now. I was doing them earlier. As a matter of fact, they're, I'm looking right at one of my classes right now. It's up there on pause. Mm -hmm. Nice. But uh, I went to Pro Tools school, and that was fun. And um, then I had such a good time doing it. I went back and went through the whole thing again to try and retain it. There was, they went over it so fast. It was 10 hours a day, seven days a week, just bam, bam, bam. And I went, I got a lot of it, and I was already doing it. It was funny. The second time they, I, that the, the second time they asked me if I wanted to come back, I couldn't come back because I was booked too much doing it. I said, no, I'm too booked to come and learn how to do it. <laughs> 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 but funny. uh but i came back the second time and i was able to do some work for them for pro tools in exchange for class time oh that's cool. and now they don't have it yeah it was very cool and now they don't have it in person here at atlanta for for now um but you can go online and it's even the same instructor i had the second time i went i can go online and i can actually buy online classes and, and take and you know it's videos and they send you samples to work with so when he shows you something you can bring those samples up and work with them yourself and see what he's doing and you can apply it mm -hmm. plus i've got my own stuff up right behind it so so i have a session up right now with 
the class up in front of it of him showing how to do something and I'm actually trying it as we I pull it back down and go now what did he say to do da, 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 da. Yeah. it's a constant <laughs> learning thing you're never gonna what what's so cool I think about digital recording is you're never gonna know it all yeah yeah there's always more and um you, and then sometimes I'll have there's a million ways to do everything too I'll have I've have I've had people come in and stand behind me and they'll say well, the other guy we went to did it this way, and I'll turn around and say, "This is just this is what they talk about in school." It's like an accountant. If you go with your tax returns to five different accountants, you'll come out with five different results. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing; it can be done different ways. Yeah. So when you're in the studio, don't feel bad if you don't know how to use a certain thing because you probably can do it another way if you didn't understand that way. There's literally like five ways to do exactly the same thing. So if you talk right. to five different engineers, mm. they're going to swear them down. The other guys don't know what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say this is well. This is how you do it. Uh, that guy you went to, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone else is an idiot, right? He just doesn't know the way you know. <laughs> huh? I said everyone else is an idiot, right? <laughs> Right. The engineers get to be kind of, yeah. as you said, elitist. The engineers can be a little bit uh, arrogant about their own ways. I think uh, some of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go, oh, this is how you do it. This is. Yeah. But but different ones of them have different set of sets of tools. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes I even send people to other people. I go, I'm not. They'll describe their project, and I'll ask them what they're trying to do, and who do you want to sound like? Can you send me some reference material of what you like and what kind of drum sound you like and all that? And after some questions, I go, you know, I could do this for you, of course, but I go, I think you'd really do better if you went over to so-and-so. And I'm like the Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th, 40, was it 34th or 43rd Street. 34, right? I'll send you to yeah. Gimbal's. <laughs> go over to Gimbal's. They have this toy over there. Exactly what you want. <laughs> And I'll tell them, I go, maybe I'm not the guy for you. It sounds like you're wanting to do something that I could do that, but this guy over here, I happen, I've heard his stuff, and he's really good at this. <laughs> don't worry, I have plenty of to do. I, I have plenty of business. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> do you think as time goes on and software improves, there's less of a gap between digital and analog? I know there's like, there's like the kind of the two different schools of thought like analog was superior to digital and do you think you can get a lot of those sounds with digital now because if you know about it there's actually digital software that will design that the whole idea is it makes your things sound like analog yeah yeah isn't that crazy i i think i have a couple of things in my inserts that are i think i have one in particular some of them look like and i know i've got some little pieces like i've got a a digital compressor that's a, a remake of, you know, you'll go into a studio and you'll see all this old hardware. You'll see shelves of it. This yeah. guy's got a lot of it. I used to have a lot of that stuff. And I had a giant board. You wouldn't believe it. It used to take four people to pick that thing up. I finally got rid of it. And everybody comes in. And they see me sitting here with a mouse and a couple <laughs> of screens and six speakers there like a, you can see them kind of look at each other. Are y'all, are y'all thinking I don't have a big board out here? Because, you know, I'm right. doing everything that the guy with the big board is doing. I just don't right. have a big old board taking up my desk. Right, right. I don't want a big old board. I don't want it. <laughs> I got rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of that stuff, that a lot of the old, like a Lexicon Digital Delay or whatever, you can get those same sounds out of um, Eventide Space, Black Hole, and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
and they're designed to, and they're, you know, they're designed to replicate things that used to be. Some people will swear by, but I, I think the audio difference sometimes is so small that nobody knows, but that one guy, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think the compression police are out there listening to their out to your album in their car going i like this album except for that third drum hit on the fourth side of <laughs> it's not compressed right if you'd just use the the honer or farnsworth method you... <laughs> nobody's doing that they just they just want to know whether they can bang their head a little bit right have a nice beat and the vocals sound sound, sound pretty good and that guy sure can play a guitar you know that's that's what they're interested in. Yeah, definitely. Couple questions in closing. Um, yes, sir. One is serious, and one is just an opinion. Um, what, so you've been in the business for a long time, and you seem to—you're not losing any steam. You seem to be aggressively at it. Several bands, recording <laughs> studio, record label. Like what keeps you going day after day? What's what keeps when you? Did you become a vampire? And because <laughs> you're obviously never going to die. <laughs> I know. I started playing in clubs in 1977. Can you imagine the bands that existed then? Kind of have nothing to do with the bands that exist now. Yeah, I was. You were like four. I was five then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was born in '59. Literally, um, a couple of days off from the day the music died, the plane went down with the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly. So that's what I was born into. Mm. And I've often thought how interesting it is for someone born right then, like me, yeah. to have seen all the phases of the beginning of rock and roll through the Beatles, through the. So I've seen kind of everything of popular music from the beginning of rock rock and roll. Mm -hmm. It is a long time to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, what it is is I am in my sixties now, <laughs> and um, so I'm a I've long been retired from day jobs or whatever. So this is what I do all day, and. Uh, Believe me, I take naps and I do stuff <laughs> old guys do. I go out and uh, so when I'm sitting here and I'm getting, I've been working on something for three or four hours or doing promotions three or four hours, I get tired or whatever. Here's what keeps me going. I go out back and I have a garden. I do a lot. I, I stop and garden. I take huh. an hour walk in the morning just mm -hmm. to look at the birds and the squirrels and stuff. And I, I, so I stop and smell the roses between things. Nice. When we get our, to our motel room on gig day, and I'm in some, I'm in Michigan or whatever. Yeah, hopefully, I get there by about four or five o'clock. I take a nap. <laughs> That's good. And yeah. then I go to the club. Nice. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, you know, I, it's it's the same kind of stuff that people when they get of a little bit of age, they say, "Do what you want to do. Do what you love. Do what you want to do, and take some time to smell the roses." Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's what's keeping me being able to do this. All right. One, one last question. And yes. This, <laughs> this is not related to anything, but I'm curious because we ask this to a lot of people. Um, somewhere along the way. How many fish can you name in 30 seconds? No, no. <laughs> somewhere along the way, it became a, uh, it was either pronounced Celtic frost or Celtic frost. What, what do you think it is? 
Uh, that is that kind of question. Right? Uh, I, I want to say yeah. Celtic Frost, but like the, the... I said Celtic Frost right? for about 20 years. That's what it is, And right? I changed it over to Celtic <laughs> Frost because I think it's... Um, I think they pronounce it that way. Do they? Do they? I don't... You know, I, I, I saw... I, I think Tom pronounces it Celtic Frost... But I've looked it up and found well, many wrong. times a dictionary where it says both are appropriate. Yeah, I, that's what I. Yeah, I, I saw an interview with uh, Tom, and he said whatever you want to say is fine. <laughs> so he didn't really answer it. But okay, all right. I, know. I I need to hear him say it. I I think I've I've watched plenty of interviews with him, and I believe he says Celtic. Hmm. Huh. Now I'm conflicted. <laughs> I know gonna, now I want to go back and li- pay attention to the interviews again. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Celtic for us. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I don't know. I did that for 20 years. That's what I said. When I was right? a kid, I, I yeah. said Celtic. Right. Right. When I was in my 20s, I said Celtic. And then there was a band, and I still said Celtic. <laughs> so is it the Celts or the Celts when you're speaking in history? Right. Oh. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call the basketball team? The Boston Celtics or Celtics? You know, I don't know. I think it's Celtics, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. 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 What do sports fans know? (laughs) 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 Anyway, it's a, I don't know. Anyway, I was Celtic forever and now I've gotten to where I say Celtic because somehow or another I'm under the impression Tom says that. Mm. Hmm. (laughs) All right. It's still up in the air, then. <laughs> and nobody knows about how to say, uh, we have that with bloody jars, bloody gars, bloody... You know, I Nobody knows how to say the name of her I didn't say that name because I didn't know how to say it, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Everybody does that. If you ask Alexa, if you say Alexa, well, she's right in front of me. If you say Alexa, play bloody jars, she'll say... Shuffling your songs by Beauty Giles. <laughs> oh my god, she's gonna play it. Oh, nice. Shuffling songs by Blue D. Jar, she said. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> Alexa, stop. She used to say, There are no songs by Bloody Tires. Bloody Tires. <laughs> <laughs> Another great band yeah, name. It's like Hollow Eye. <laughs> yeah. uh, she said, Bloody Jars occasionally. Bloody Tires and Hollow Eye. <laughs> now she's not saying bloody at all, she's saying Blue D. <laughs> Dyers, and she said Dyers. <laughs> Alexa, volume eight. <laughs> All right, Alexa, play Booty Dyers. Do what she says. I can't find the song Booty Dyers. Booty Dyers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she lost. She didn't play it. She didn't do it that time. <laughs> Booty jars. I hadn't even heard that one yet. <laughs> Booty jars. Awesome. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> well, enjoy your the, time away. Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you so out. much, Tommy. We're thank here. you so much. Send us over all of your bands. Keep doing what you're doing. Yes. We love it. Love thank it. you so much. Thank and I really appreciate it talking to you. It was good to meet you. Yeah, you too. I'm good. If we come up there, we are definitely going to get uh, together. We'd love to. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever come to Maryland Doom Fest, I will probably be there. We'll be there. Well, if that happens, we'll be there. You're on half of the U.S. There's no reason we can't get there. It is a long way from Atlanta, but we'll get there. <laughs> we would be there 100%. Yeah, man. 
So me and the and the booty jars and everybody are going <laughs> to sign out. We'll talk to you later. Talk thank, to you next time. Thank you very right. much. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye, bye. Tommy. So I remember being 13 and 1985 mm-hmm. and hearing Hallow's Eve plunging to Megadeth and thinking, what is this? <laughs> and I kind of soon became a fan of, of them. Yeah. But to think back on now, like 35 years later, that I've talked to the founding member of that Tommy band, fucking Stewart. I would have never believed it. <laughs> and I, I love talking to these people and them being humble and cool and like genuine awesome people you know what I mean yeah not disappointed like just a nice real person yeah it's it's very cool and and I really enjoy it I I'm having a moment yeah good alright that's what this is all about <laughs> moments moments I would love to know whose car he signed I know I feel like we know them yeah <laughs> I know yeah I really want to know. Guess what I really want to know. What? What are we closing out with? Oh, we are closing out with a couple Black Doomba record signed bands. All right. First one is Grave Huffer, who is also on the Reality Impaired label. And we're going to be playing Demon Face. Then we're going to close up with Wither Without You with Echathesia. And if I fuck that up, I apologize. I've been known to fuck things up. (laughs) (laughs) Stay safe. Stay healthy. Don't don't be be an an asshole. asshole. And? May the fourth be with you. (laughs) I can give you what you want. I can give you what you need. Laughing, crying, devil queen. Malevolent malignancy. Creeping every time you laugh. Laughing every time you weep Whispering these things from hell To you when you try to sleep Mortuary Your life is now a living hell That if your head is where I dwell You'll never get away from me Secluded in your lonely cell Mortuary Tormented, tortured, desperate soul Satanic blood to form a tear Try as you like, you'll never shed The demon face of Constantine I was born as a Constantine The evil dark and sanity The death and cry, I'm gonna bleed Prepare to change your century The beast that is my devil's win Will always live within my skin Return of the parasite It's in this life I want to die To your life I long to bring For fundamental suffering Burning hatred all I know Descending into lunacy Got demonic gibberish Violent hateful rhetoric My torture from your misery Stuff I grant my wish Mortray Draw disgusting wishes joke The humor of an angry god 
There is no life, there is no hope Devoid of love, devoid of God Win but you can never win When I'll keep you in your place Yes, I am the devil's win And you can call me demon faith And it's a misery and woe Take my feet, I'll never know I cannot tolerate this pain This poison causes to my face I end my life at 23 And doctors now embraces me I leave the world with one request Turn off my face to wipe my wrist
they don't tweet. 